Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Welcome, 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 everybody, back to the show. I know it's been about a month, but, you know, Christmas, New Year's, work, kids, you know, all gets in the way gets in the way of life at times, you know, I guess I wouldn't say in the way of life. I mean, life happens, and we all just got to take a little break sometimes, you know, sometimes things get pushed to the back burner, like this podcast lately, apparently, uh, you know, this is only our second episode in the last, uh, five months but hey new year new me uh we're approaching a one-year anniversary on february 4th uh when we first started this publishing our first our very first episode february 4th we released what three episodes that that day we had a we had the football review we had youth and sports or youth sports how parents and how parents should act, kids should act, you know, refs and umpires and that. And then, oh yeah, the Mount Rushmore game. You know, hope you guys all enjoyed those podcasts, along with the other 37 that we did last year, for a total of 40 podcasts last year. Um, so the uh, the one-year anniversary is coming up. We're going to have a one-year anniversary show, obviously, because why not? Um, again, love the fact that this thing was done on a whim and a prayer and it's gotten to where it's gotten today uh appreciative for everybody that has contributed to not only uh just the support everybody has contributed to this show to make it really happen what it is uh everybody's support everybody's you know listening uh everybody that has followed everybody has shared this you know follows me on social medias my tiktok my twitter you know everywhere my twitch you know everywhere that is possible uh for me to be able to bring you an enlightenment of sports history and man has this show also changed in the last year uh with you know with doing we were taking hot takes on all sports to then you know revamping it to just doing uh sports history about dingers and dunks baby not so much dunks lately but you know Ding, we, we'll get into the dunks. Dingers are a little more of my fortitude. I like basketball. I play basketball. I coach basketball. So dunks are there. The history of basketball is just not. However, another podcast show that is another podcast that is on the Sports History Network, Jersey Dispatch, uh, has started a fun little game with all us of us other uh, podcasters on the on the network here, and we're going to be. Talking about our top, we're going to take the five best position players off of every jersey number, okay? And we're going to have it posted up on the Sports History website. Uh, It's going to be there. I'm also going to do a weekly show about the numbers as well. Give my little breakdown. You know, I provide the stats, guys. The stats for your facts. So you can throw them all your little buddies that way, you don't have to go to Google. You can just say, hey, listen to one guy with the mic. He's got it down, right? So that's where we're at. You know, I love it. 
you know, starting to get back on the groove of things. Uh, 2023, uh, it was, we're going to try to make it bigger and better. Uh, we're going to try to have some guests. You know, I got I got plenty of plans. And again, we're going to have that year year episode. I don't want to get a whole lot into that. But, you know, the year episode is definitely going to be... Um, we're actually going to give more of a breakdown of what we had last year and what we can see going forward to uh, this coming up year. So that'll be fun. Uh, today we are going to start off with a little Hall of Fame talk. You know, Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame is right around the corner uh, with uh, the nominations. Fred McGriff is in, thanks to the uh, contemporary era. Fred McGriff, finally deserving. Uh, if you want to hear more about Fred McGriff, go back to my Hall of Fame snubs episode. Talk about Fred McGriff, Don Mattingly, and Keith Hernandez. How they all three should be in the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff's in. We just got two more to get down. I'm not even a big Keith Hernandez fan, but Keith Hernandez, 14-time gold glover, definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. All right. So before we get started, you know, we always got to do our little did you know. All right. And this week's Did You Know actually comes from one of my co-workers that's busting out some facts for me the other day at work. My co-worker, Chris Rager, um, he brought something to my attention that I never knew. Granted, I'm not a huge White Sox fan. Um, I actually dislike the White Sox for the most of my life. Always would make fun of kids that were White Sox fans because, hey... I'm a Northie, all right? I'm a Northsider, Wrigleyville kind of guy. Show up with my business suit on, you know, because that's how the stereotype of the Cubs. Show up in your polo and your jeans and, you know, act like you're a fan and play on your cell phone and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Southsiders are gritty, tough, you know, but each their own, right? So, hey, at least we all can try to get along, maybe, once in a while. And, uh... I think I'm going to have a little more respect from where the White Sox started and how they've progressed over the years. I mean, granted, the White Sox are named after the Cubs because the Chicago White Sockings was one of the Cubs' original names that they had. So, um, here's a little did you know uh, that, like I said, just found out. Uh, the Chicago White Sox actually originated in my hometown as the Sioux City Cornhuskers. So we're tying even the Nebraska Cornhuskers into this as well. Even the corn, you know, that's a, you know, we could really break down the Iowa-Nebraska football rivalry if we wanted to on this episode, but I don't want to bore people with that. Um, so the Sioux City Cornhuskers were of the Western League. Uh, the Western League was a minor league under the National League until 1901 when the Western League became the American League, the junior circuit, you know. I think that's pretty much where that comes from. Uh, the White Sox were also, uh, Charles Kaminsky basically bought them, move, bought the Sioux City Cornhuskers, moved them to St. Paul, where they became the St. Paul Saints, before they moved to Chicago and became the Chicago White Stockings in 1900. Um, and then they were also the first team to actually term the White Sox, actually use that term Sox, S-O-X, as well. Um, and like I said, I might not ha- hate the White Sox uh, as much anymore, knowing that they originated from my hometown. So that's a little fun. Fun fact. Now, today's topic, we're just going to get right into the meat of this. You know, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're just going to get right down to the ba- brass tacks here. Okay. Uh, today's topic, we're going to talk about Kenny Lofton, who's no longer on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. 
probably one of the best players in the 90s. Just saying. Especially for the American League. And then you have Andrew Jones. Another player from the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, that is on the ballot. He's in his sixth year on the ballot. And we'll get to more into him in a minute here. But he's on his sixth year on the ballot. Potentially could. Put, there's that potential of being in the Hall of Fame this year. Okay. Uh, he's currently at like, I think last year was like 41%, but hey, I got numbers on that boys and girls and ladies and gents, children of all ages. We have all that coming up. Okay. But first we're going to start with Kenny Lofton. All right. Kenny Lofton was a speedster. He was a guy that stole bases. He was a guy that didn't hit for power. He got on base, did what you needed to do from leadoff hitter. Okay. He was drafted by the Houston Astros 17th around in 1988. Okay. He played at the university of Arizona. And he would make his major league debut in 1991 with, of course, Houston, playing in 20 games. Uh, Houston at the time had a center fielder already in the name of Steve Finley. And he was only 26 years old. So he was only a little bit older. He was about two or three years older than Fowl, than Lofton. So Houston ended up trading Lofton to Cleveland uh, that offseason. And, and then Cleveland gave up Eddie uh, Tabasi and Willie Blair. Okay. After the trade, Lofton was quoted as saying, I know they gave up on me, and now I'm glad they did, because one man's trash is another man's treasure. So, in 92, he makes his debut with the Cleveland Indians at the time, now the Guardians, and proceeds to have a slash line of 285, 362, and 365. So, his batting average is 285, on-base percentage was 362, and slugging percentage was 365. Obviously, Lofton wasn't a power hitter. Skinny, fast kid, fast guy, you know. Very much of, if you've seen Major League, the movie, very much Willie Mays Hayes, okay? Uh, he'd go on to steal 66 bases and caught only 12 times that year. All right, he batted leadoff and played center field. And as a rookie, he would end up finishing second in the AL Rookie of the Year uh, vote behind the Milwaukee Brewers' Pat Listash, okay? And yes, kids, Milwaukee used to be in the AL, all right? Then Houston became in the AL because, you know, there's a whole little expansion thing. There's a whole little Bud C League and blah, blah, blah. Okay. We'll have to go into that detail at one point uh, of how Houston became the AL and Milwaukee became in the NL. You know, we'll go over that at one point. All right. So uh, he, le- he led the with the 66 stolen bases that year. He led the AL. Um, it was an AL record. It was and still is an AL record by a rookie, and it was also the most stolen bases by a rookie since Vince Coleman had stolen 110 bases in 1985. That's right, kids. People used to steal bases. Now today, I think they top out like 30, maybe 40. But back in the day, it would be still in 66, 67, topping 100. I mean. Let's let's be real. We used to play a lot of small ball back in the day until we started hitting bombs. Started hitting dingers now. Okay. Um, so, after the 92 season, he signed a four-year, uh, $6.3 million contract. And, no, that wasn't $6.3 million per year. That was the entire contract. All right. So, from 92 to 96, he would still 325 bases and kit, caught only 70 times. He also batted 316. He had a 382 on base percentage and he had a 437 slugging percentage. Uh, he also compiled 868 hits, 261 RBIs. He had 302 walks, 
and uh, he stole three hundred and twenty-four. Uh, yeah, three hundred or yes. Oh, he struck out three hundred. I can't read my own handwriting sometimes. Uh, he struck out only three hundred twenty-five, three hundred twenty-four times, and he would score five hundred and forty-two runs. Uh, he had thirty-nine home runs as a leadoff hitter, and he was a three-time All Star during that time. Uh, Ninety-seven, he went to the Atlanta for a year, and then ninety-seven to two thousand, he would return back to Cleveland, where he would steal another hundred and thirty-six bases, get caught forty-three times, bat two ninety-seven. Have an on-day base percentage of 387 and a slugging of 423, along with scoring 408 runs. Man, this guy did everything you wanted as a leadoff hitter. Just saying. And then from 2001 to 2007, he, um, he, re- he uh, when he retired, he played for nine different teams uh, during that time, which was his age 30 to 40 years, 40 seasons, okay? Uh, he still would still 149 bases even in his mid to late 40s. That's past your prime, okay. Uh, he'd get caught 46 times. He still batted 288, so he's still getting a good clip at the as your leadoff hitter. Still getting on base 35.4 percent of the time, right? Uh, he had a slugging precision of 415, so he still had a little pop, not much. Uh, you're going to hit 52 home runs. He'd have 296 RBIs. He would score 569 runs. Um, while also having 921 hits. Over his entire 17-year career, he played 10 seasons with Cleveland, and then he spent a year or less with Atlanta, the White Sox, the Giants, the Pirates, the Cubs, the Yankees, the Phillies, and the Dodgers. Uh, During his career, he also made the postseason 11 times and the World Series twice, playing it in 95 and in 2002. He led the AL five times in stolen bases. He led the Major League Baseball, the entire league, all of Major League Baseball, three times. And he holds the role, He holds the record of most stolen bases in the postseason with 34. One ahead of Ricky Henderson. Uh, Mr. Laughlin was a six-time All-Star. He was a four-time Gold Glover. His career war, a 68.4. Uh, he had 2,428 hits, 130 home runs, a 299 batting average. He had 1,528 runs scored, 788, 781 RBIs. He had 622 career stolen bases while only getting caught 160 times. Wow. That's a good, that's a good percentage, boys and girls. Like, that, that is by far probably one of the best percentages that you could actually have going. Because that's your, your success rate would be was uh seventy six percent is what your success rate was. You know. So and then he still had a three seventy two on base uh percentage. He had a four twenty three slugging percentage when he when he retired as well. Now how does he rank amongst amongst the best center fielders of all time? Well, his career war is ninth best. Okay, his best seven seven war seasons, you know, wins above replacement for the best seven combined seasons ranks twelfth all time. All right, his jaws, which you know the that's the rankings of where uh jaws is where they they're most likely to be a hall of famer caliber type of player is ranks tenth at fifty five point nine. 
His war per 162, 162 games ranks 22nd. Uh, his offensive war was is 13th all-time. His defensive war is 8th all-time. So here's a guy that was definitely a five-tool player. Okay, He had a little pop when he needed to. He could definitely steal bases, get on base for you. He could draw the walk. He could steal the bag. He could uh, hit doubles, and he could hit triples as well. Um, so his wins above average ranks ninth all time at 38.4 and he may not have an MVP. However, only 13 center fielders have ever won an MVP all time. Now where do, where does now? Okay. All right, Chad. All right. Mr. One guy, Mr. Stats, you're telling me all these stats where he ranks like in the top 12 for most of these stats, except for that one where it's 22nd, but that's cause he didn't have any pop. You know, it's because it limits the home runs, limits that offensive war. Okay, so you give me all these good stats and everything, but where does it rank with the average Hall of Famer, right? So, average war of 19 Hall of Famers at the position is of center field is 71.6. Okay, so where is where is Mr. Lofton? Oh, yeah, 68.4. So, a ta- just a tick down, right? Where, his, where does his best seven war, his war seven of the 19 Hall of Famers is? Now, granted, this is only 19 Hall of Famers that are center fielders. Is, is Their average is 43.4. What's his? His is a 43.4. Oh, my gosh. What? what? There you go. There's the one, one mark, okay? Then you have the average Jaws is 58.5. He ranks 10th at 55.9. Okay. Now, and then obviously the war for 162 games of 19 Hall of Famers is 5.4. And Mr. Uh, Lofton here, his is 5.3. Again, a tick down. All right. So. Lofton's offensive war ranks of head the following Hall of Famers. Andre Dawson, Larry Doby, uh, Avril, Kirby Puckett, and Hack Wilson, and 11 others. Uh, Hall, of Fame, uh, Hall of Famers that are ahead of him are Richie Ashburn, Billy Hamilton, the 1888 to 1901 version, not the current version, uh, Duke Snyder, Joe DiMaggio, Ken Griffey Jr., Mantle, Tris Speaker, Willie Mays, and Ty Cobb. Now, here is a fun fact for you guys as well because you so we have these 19 Hall of Famers that have all these high averages, right? That's a little skewed by four players. Mays, Mantle, Speaker, and Cobb are a are in their own category because they are the only four with a war of 110 and above okay so so if you really take those four out he really would i mean if you put those four in just their own separate category because mantle maze cobb speaker you're talking about the probably four best center fielders of all time okay and then you throw on trout and griffey who each have 88s 81s and 88s who are the next two in line like, if you take those six out, Kenny Lofton pretty much leads the rest of them. You know, besides the, you know, Richie Ashburn and all that. 
okay, and the Billy Hamilton 1988 version, or 1888 version, you know, his defensive war, so as, you know, because I liked my Hall of Famers, well-rounded. I don't like them all one side. I don't like, uh, I don't like the how they say, oh, well, Mike Piazza is a Hall of Famer because he's the best offensive catcher. Okay, but what do you do on defense? Oh, yeah, that's right. He only threw out 16% of his runners. He was probably one of the worst framers ever, right? But he, hey, he could hit, he hit 300. He hit home runs. Like, blah, 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 blah. Okay? So, like I said, and I've always, you know, if you listen to past episodes, I always talk about players that are well-rounded. Well, well-rounded players, right? Guys, as Ryan Sandberg said in his Hall of Fame speech, that played the game the right way. So, Willie Mays is the only Hall of Famer above him in defensive war. And again, Willie Mays puts it up there. 18.8 is Willie Mays's, okay? His wins above average, besides Mike Trout, he is the only non-Hall of Famer in the top 10. So, you have Trout and Lofton in the top 10 above, wins above average, okay? So, that's above the average player. Him, Mike Trout, and Lofton are only two in the top 10, all right? So, where does this put me with Kenny Lofton's resume? Well, it puts me like he's just to be on this ballot, if not in the Hall of Fame. As a guy that proved himself in the 90s and early 2000s, making multiple pole seasons, he played, he was always consistent in the uh, he consistently made the postseason. Now, some guys say, well, he was, you know, with all those one nine years of playing with one team, you know, every year, that that, uh, that lessens his effect on the game. I don't know. Because if you, if you need that one piece of the puzzle to make the postseason and you go after Kenny Lofton, a guy like Kenny Lofton, you're, you're apparently going to make the playoffs. So... So he didn't win an MVP. Like I said, only thirteen center fielders, thirteen center fielders have. He didn't win a World Series ring, but he was in two World Series. As I've proven, he's probably one of the best player, one of the best center fielders, if not the best center fielder. Well, I can't really say the best for because there is Ken Griffey, and he's above him on a lot of lists. So one of the best center fielders of the '90s and early 2000s. And that, to me, is how we should if should effectively look at Hall of Famers, right? Were they the top of their era? Because a lot of these guys don't have the nice numbers like we like to have. We don't have the round numbers. We don't have 25 hits or 3,000 hits or however you want to look at it. You don't have 1,000 RBIs. You don't have 200 home runs from a leadoff hitter. I mean... You get you don't get the seven hundred stolen bases. Uh, you don't have the three hundred average, but you have the consistency. You have a guy here that delivered every possible way. Okay, and like I said, every team felt he was the missing piece. Now the only way Lofton gets in now is by a committee of his peers. Okay. And I really think the committee of his peers should look at him. They've looked at Fred McGriff, obviously, and got him in. So, as of this recording, I am now, like I have done in the previous years, I am now stumping for Kenny Lofton 
not because he's probably one of the best, my one of my favorite players to ever watch as a kid. I mean, he was. I played center field because Kenny Lofton. Let's be real. Okay, I wasn't as fast as him. I know. I didn't steal bases like him, but Kenny Lofton was my inspiration for playing center field. Him and Ken Griffey Jr. are the two guys are the reason why I played center field. Okay, so. Because the one and only time that Mr. Lofton was on the ballot, he only received 3.2% of the vote. Overlooked by the writers, shouldn't make you overlooked by your peers. Lofton played the game the right way, as I said. And that, and that is one of the core things that they look at when these committees get together. So... Take a look, guys. Review Lofton's career. Put him up against anybody, and he's a Hall of Famer. Some of you guys say, well, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. You know what? There's a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Fame that shouldn't be. And I've gone into that a little bit, too. And I think we'll have to do an episode about that at some point as well, about how we should probably, you know, get rid of some of the guys that were just thrown in because their buddies were on a committee. So, I'm glad the Contemporary Committee does take their job a little bit serious than other committees. But at the same time, Lofton needs to get in. So, the second player of today's episode is going to be Andrew Jones. Known for his defensive prowess in center field. Alright, with the Atlanta Braves. Known for his power hitting with the Atlanta Braves. <coughs> Andrew Jones... Played in two World Series, losing both times to the New York Yankees that were ran by Derek Jeter. Alright. So, this is his sixth year on the ballot. Alright. So, he survived this long. He's got four years left to get in. Uh, his first year on the ballot, he grabbed 7.3% of the votes. He grabbed 75.7.5% of the votes the second year. The third year, it jumps up to 19.4%, and then he has a huge jump from 3 to 4, okay? Because then he goes up to 33.9%, and the last year, he goes up from up to 41.4%. So, again, if he continues, you need to get 75% of all votes on the Baseball Writers Association ballots, which puts you, you know, I think there's like 300 writers so you need right around like 160 votes, I think is what. I think you need like one, some oddball number. It's like 168 or 171, you know, whatever. I think there's like, I said, like I said, there's like 300 uh, writers. So, yeah, you know, maybe my math's a little off. Maybe you need like 225. Okay, I don't know. So you need, you need like a lot of votes, okay? You need to be on 75% of the ballots is what I'm getting at. And if Andrew Jones, like other stars continue to have done in the previous years. They always have that one big jump and then they get in. Okay. I don't think Andrew Jones deserves to be in the hall of fame. I honestly don't because if we're not putting Kenny Lofton in the, in the hall of fame, we can't put Andrew Jones in the hall of fame. And I'm going to tell you why, because <laughs> this was fun for me. So, Jones' stats for his career are as follows. He had a two fifty four batting average. He had a three thirty seven on-base percentage and a forty eighty six slugging percentage. Okay? 
He had 434 career home runs. He had 1,289 RBIs. He had 1,933 hits, 383 doubles. He had 1,204 runs scored. He had 152 stolen bases. He spent 12 seasons with Atlanta, two seasons with the Yankees, one with the Dodgers, Rangers, and White Sox. He had five all-star appearances, and he won 10 gold gloves, all consecutive. Like I said, he played in two World Series, losing to the the Jeters-Yankees. But, you know, San Diego lost to Jeters-Yankees. Uh, the Mets lost to Jeters-Yankees. The only team that didn't lose to, the G- lose to Jeters-Yankees was that when they made the World Series, besides Boston. I mean, Boston in 04, you know. Uh, 2001, Arizona Diamondbacks did not lose to the Yankees-Jeters. To Jeter's Yankees. Okay. Uh, so, all my Yankees fans out there, I had to twist that little knife a little bit, I guess. Uh, so, he was a Silver Slugger winner and Minor League Player of the Year. He is the youngest player to ever hit a home run world in World Series history. He had seven seasons of 30 home runs plus, And he had one year being, he hit 41 and another where he hit 51. Okay. He had over a hundred, he had a hit over a hundred RBIs five times. His career roar is that not roar. Like I'm not a lion right now. His career war, war. What is it good for? Sorry. ADD kicking in. All right. His career war is wins above replacement. 62.7. Wins above average is 35.9. His offensive war is 39.8. His defensive war is 24.4. Let me rephrase that to you again. 24.4 was his defensive wins above replacement. Second place is Willie Mays at 18.8. His defense... Is extraordinary. Andrew Jones's defense ability is mind-boggling. Okay, I should have been playing center field because of Andrew Jones, not because of Lofton. I mean, Lofton, like I said, ranked eighth, but Andrew Jones is the epitome of being a defensive center fielder. Okay, twenty-four point four. That's like Jerry Rice for you football fans out there that decide to listen to a baseball podcast. Which, hey, that's cool. You know, we all we all have our little. I'll have our little uh, niches, I guess. You know, I'll have a little secrets. You know, I won't, t- I won't tell your football buddies that you're listening to a baseball podcast. I promise. Okay? But just put this in football terms. Okay? Jerry Rice is 25% more ahead of the second guy. <laughs> or, yeah, of the second guy in receiving yards. And that's what Andrew Jones is. Andrew Jones is like 25% ahead of Willie Mays for defensive metrics. Like, And you got to remember, Willie Mays played at the polo grounds, right? He made over-the-head catches. He, like, Willie Mays was an es- a badass center fielder. And then you have Andrew Jones, okay? Hence the reason why he won 10 gold gloves consecutively, right? So... Jones was a power-hitting right-handed center fielder that was, like I said, a defensive phenom for his first 12 years. This is where the kicker gets in. For 12 straight years, he provided the power, the defense, he did it all, okay? 
Then his age 30 season, after his age 30 season, he had a major drop-off, offensively and defensively. So if I really, so if we, I don't think he'd be, I think, I don't know. I think he'd be borderline Hall of Fame before, if he just played 12 seasons. Because it probably could be like the Sandy Koufax effects, where Sandy Koufax had like six really good seasons, and it was his last six seasons that he had really, really stellar, and then he retired, okay? But he had 12 years in the league, but it was like the, I guess, not really last six. I guess it was probably the last eight, maybe. His first four or five years were absolute bonkers, and then his last six were not very good at all. And then his last six, seven, eight seasons was when he really put in those dominant numbers. So maybe Andrew Jones could fall underneath that category of just having that effect. Not really such the longevity, but he retires at age 30 and everybody be like, oh, what if? And then they look at his numbers and be like, damn, he probably belongs in the Hall of Fame. Then it gets in quicker instead of waiting now. Plus, I think those earlier ballots probably probably would have favored him more if he would have retired, I don't know, six years earlier. So then, yeah. So, but here, uh, but he played five more years. So he played up till age 35. And his last five years, he had a 1.7 war. He only batted 210. He had a 316 on base percentage. He had a 424 slugging. He only hit 66 home runs, 172 RBIs. He only had 53 doubles. He only had 250 career hits, and he only scored 159 runs. I mean, those stats right there was like Sammy Sosa's, I don't know, 2001 season maybe, right? When he hit 66 home runs. So, so can we really... So those are the bad marks on Andrew Jones' resume. But his first 12 seasons, do they really outweigh that last five. I mean, let's see how he stacks up with the rest of the center fielders all, of all time. His career war is 14th all time. His war seven is ninth all time. His jaws is 11th. His war 162 is 39th. His offensive war is 51st. His defensive war is number one again. His wins above average ranks 11th. Um, and then he's 51st in hits, 30th in doubles, 217th in triples. He's sixth in home runs though. I mean, there's that, um, behind hall of famers, Mays, Griffey Jr., Mantle and Dawson. Okay. He's also behind Carlos Beltran as the non hall of famer as well. He's a non hall of famer. Carlos Beltran has a war of a 70, not in the Hall of Fame. Probably won't be steroid, you know. Really, really, again, go listen to my episode on, on drugs and sports, okay? Just go look into that. Again, we're going to touch, we're going to sum all these episodes up that we did in the entire year. We're going to do that on our year anniversary, okay? Um, He's 14th in RBIs of all time, you know, above that. 371st in batting average, though. 236th in on-base percentage, 27th in slugging. So, <coughs> so with all these rankings, I mean, and I've already gone through Kenny Lofton, and he Lofton ranks ahead of him in everything but defensive war and um, and Jaws is the only thing that, or 
Yeah, or as War 7. It's the only thing that Lofton doesn't rank ahead of Andrew Jones on. So I guess the question for Andrew Jones is, does his defense metrics make him more worthy of the for, for the Hall of Fame than what he actually is? Um, again, if we care, compare him to Kenny Lofton, Lofton ranks higher in war, Jaws, war 162. I mean, Lofton even ranks higher in offensive war, wins above average. Lofton's hits, he's 19th. Uh, they're tied for doubles. Lofton ranks 22nd in triples. Jones ranks higher in home runs, RBIs. Lofton ranks higher in average at 64th, on base percentage at 60th. And Jones beats him in slugging percentage, obviously, because Jones had, had, had the home runs. So, like I said, just the, this comparison between Lofton and Jones shows that Lofton, if you're going to put Jones in, then Lofton should be in as well. Um, and I really think we put a lot of weight onto those gold gloves, which is fine. And his defensive metrics, which is fine. We can do that. But in his home runs, in his home runs, we, we we always put we always put weight to how many home runs you have. But the rest isn't there for me in this case. And I'm really I really try to stump for guys to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I really do because I think there's a lot of guys that don't last long enough in the ballot. They had really good, they had great careers that were that were um, undervalued even though they had great careers. They just were on the wrong team. They didn't win a championship. They weren't nice to the to the press. They didn't they weren't always open to the press like or you know, it was just one of those things. But Andrew Jones, I liked him as a player. I mean, I hated the Braves because of the whole Maddox deal. I'll have to talk about that sometime deal where Maddox decide <laughs> Maddox decided to go to the pick the Braves over the well, he didn't pick the Braves over the Cubs. His Agent picked the Braves over the Cubs, and the Cubs did offer him five hundred thousand dollars left. What the Braves did, unfortunately, the Tribune apparently couldn't come with another five hundred thousand dollars. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me get a quick drink here because it gets me a little choked up now and then. So, I really don't think his defensive metric is enough to put him over the top. I think we also need to uh, take Hall of Fame voting out of the writers' hands and put it into overall committees, just like what the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL do. They don't let their writers decide who gets into the Hall of Fame. They have players. They have members of the media that are a part of that. They have executives, former executives. They have current Hall of Fame members. And then they get a group together and they break it down. They don't let writers decide. Now, there's some way I can get on the Baseball Writers Association of America. Then my stance might change a little bit because then I would be a voting member. But I don't know how to, how do you do that. So maybe that's maybe that's what the goal for 2024 is. Become a member of the Baseball Writers Association. Do you have to write? Or can I just do do a podcast? I mean, that's perfect, right? Um, and I hate that. I hate that the writers have that control. Because the writers have biases against the players. Like I said, it, it, it all just weighs it down. Like, And I get it. 
there's players back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that put their buddies in from the 20s, 30s, and 40s that probably don't belong. But it's out of my hands, out of your hands, and I just don't think that's where it should be at. Now, let's really sum up one thing. Tim the Rock Reigns, okay? He was a guy that played that played for the Expos that everybody stumped for him to get in the Hall of Fame. He gets in the Hall of Fame. You know who had a better run between the age of 24 and 37 than Tim the Rock Reigns? Kenny Lofton. So, we really got this thing screwed up, folks. Kenny Lofton should be on the ballot, if not in the Hall of Fame. In my opinion... Excuse me. In my opinion, Andrew Jones should not be in the Hall of Fame. It's not against Andrew Jones. It's really not a knock against Andrew Jones. Just don't think his stats over the years qualified him to be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't think a two fifty four batting average gets you there. Because like with Matt Mattingling and with Hernandez, their batting averages were almost three hundred. I mean, I still like the 300 attitude, okay? But I still like the the 400. I feel like 400 hit home runs is sufficient. But a 254 batting average, yes, you're great defensively. I don't think, but I don't think 10 gold gloves outweigh what you didn't do on the offensive side, even though you hit a lot of home runs. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. And I really appreciate you listening to to me rant about this. A lot of my Brace fans aren't going to like this opinion. But it is what it is, guys. And if you feel like I misspoke or if you feel like like there's some some uh evidence I should look at, please reach out tweet please send me a tweet. Get my DMs, all right? Come at me with your facts, with your stats. We'll have a debate, friendly debate. Love it. I love a friendly debate. Um, again, next week we're going to be starting. A, we're going to start the jersey series on basketball players. Um, go to sportshistory.network.com. We're going to have the rankings up there that fans can vote on. Also, go to sportshistorynetwork.com and go to our shop. All right. Go to the shop. There's some one guy with a mic merch that you can buy. Okay? Now, we need we need to do that. We need to get to the one guy with the mic uh, store over there. And you guys need to buy some merch. You need that coffee mug. Mouse pad, I think. I don't know. A whole bunch of cool stuff in there. The shirts you can get um, with my logo on it. The logo that you see on your podcast screen here. So, And always remember to... Drop a like if you like this con- content. Hit that follow button and ring the bell so that we you notified when new episodes are dropping. Again, we're going to start getting back into the mood of things. I appreciate you. Love y'all. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll see you guys next week. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, 
Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. The Pigskin Tales Podcast is all about the lesser-known pro football players. Yes, there are stories about the ones we know, like Brad Tarkenton and Harold Red Grange. But have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? How about Dave Osborne or even Grady Alderman? These men created their own path to the NFL. How did they do it? Listen to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Now streaming on your favorite music platform. Go to pigskintales.com. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.